You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Well, amen. I'm going to ask you to remain standing. Children will begin to make their way to worship. Want to take your Bibles? Want you to take your Bibles? Turn to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 20, over there in the Old Testament. 2 Kings chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 20, beginning at verse 1, right before 1 Kings, that helps you out any, and right after 1 and 2 Samuel. And we're honored to have Bethany in the room today. Bethany, who often is with the children, we're glad that you're here today. And uh, we appreciate all that those do that take care of the kids and the children, nursery, and and make the ability of us to be able to gather here. There was a man, let me just tell you a quick story. There was a man years ago, he went for his, uh, his normal annual physical, had his physical, the doctor called him and asked him to come to his office. He sat down in the doctor's office, and um, the doctor looked at him. He looked kind of concerned. He was looking at the reports, and he called the man by name. He said, well, sir, he said, I hate to tell you this, but you only have six months to live. Well, this man was just, he was just taken back. He'd gone for an annual routine yearly physical, and uh, it, it just blew his mind. He, he looked, he, he just looked like he was about to faint. He, he turned just ashen color, and he got real concerned. And finally, he looked at the doctor, and he said, well, doctor, he said, uh, you know, this is taking me by surprise. What, what, what can I do? What do you think I ought to do? And he said, well, if I were you, he said, I would uh, move to Texas. He said, I'd find me a widow with 10 kids, and I would uh, buy me a hog farm. And the doctor looked at him for a moment. The man looked at the doctor, and he said, my goodness, doctor. He said, how in the world is that going to help me? You're telling me to move to Texas, marry a widow with 10 kids, and buy a hog farm? How is that going to make my life any better? He said, son, it won't, but it'll be the longest six months you've ever had. You know, sometimes time just drags by, doesn't it? Let me ask you a question. We've all thought about it. Would you like to know when you're going to die? You ever thought about that? You ever thought sometimes just in a normal day-to-day life, have you ever thought, you know, I wonder when I'm going to die. I wonder how much more time I have. And, um, you know, would I like to know that? I don't know about you, but I don't think I would. Well, we're looking at a man today who had just that opportunity. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. Now, let me give you a little background here just real quickly, and I don't want to get into this. King Hezekiah is mentioned, now everybody look this way, as the greatest king outside of King David. So once the kingdom of Israel divided after the death of Solomon, King Hezekiah was an unusual. His dad, Ahaz, was a wicked king. He was a wicked man. He hated the prophets, and he would not listen to the prophets, and he would always be developing new treaties trying to keep peace. 
Hezekiah comes along, and Hezekiah leads unbelievable reforms through the nation of Israel. In fact, he even attempts to bring the northern kingdom of Israel, the the southern kingdom of Judah, back together again. He is an unusual king, and the Bible said he was the greatest king outside of King David. But let's look at this particular episode. In, in 2 Kings chapter 20, beginning at verse 1, In those days Hezekiah became ill, and he was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, Amos went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order, because you are going to die. You will not recover. Verse 2, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he prayed to the Lord, remember me, O Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Let's pray again. Lord, we love you. We give you all the glory, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now, there's only two points to this message, and and the first one is that it's a warning. Um, When you look at this, unlike Nathan to David, you remember when Nathan came to David? Nathan confronted David with his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, with his murder of her husband Uriah. You remember when Nathan confronted David? Well, there's a lot of similarity here. This is Isaiah, that great Old Testament prophet. He comes to this king, King Hezekiah, and he doesn't come to him unlike Nathan to David. He doesn't come because of sin in the life of Hezekiah. But he comes to give them a warning. Now, it's not a warning to a nation. It's a warning to an individual. And basically what he says is this. You are getting ready to die, and you need to get some things in order. You need to get your home in order. You ever had somebody die in front of you? You know, when you're an EMT, an emergency medical technician, you work with ambulances, and you're with people sometimes when they, when they die. I... We had a life-changing experience at the age of about 15, 16 years of age when I was with my uncle, Tom. And my uncle, Tom, had viral pneumonia. You've heard me tell this story. And he was dying. In fact, the last thing that I believe that my uncle, Tom, did, that the last thing that he said was he patted me as I rode with him on the way to the VA hospital, and he tapped my hand laying on him and he said to me he said Jeff you're a good boy it's the last thing he said you know this is a warning it's a warning to Hezekiah and it's a simple warning the Bible says here look at it again in verse 1 this is what the Lord says put your house in order because why because you are going to die now listen and you will not what? You're not going to recover. Now, a lot of people say, well, what was wrong with King Hezekiah? Many believe, many Old Testament theologians believe that he had the bubonic plague, that the bubonic plague 
which was the, you know, they called it the Black Death of Europe. The truth of the matter is, is that this particular disease, this ailment, I think it's caused by fleas, had just about decimated, wiped out the Assyrian army. It had not only attacked the Assyrians, and believe, some believe it was led to the death of thousands under Sennacherib, but it was believed that King Hezekiah had the bubonic plague. Now, the king did not doubt that what Isaiah was saying was true. He had no doubt. In fact, if you look at, when I looked at this, look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. It says here, it says in verse 2, it said, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall. He prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, remember. Now, when I read that and I thought about that for a minute, I thought to myself, what did King Hezekiah not do? Here you have a man, one of the most powerful prophets of the Old Testament, King, uh, uh, the prophet Isaiah. Here you have this unbelievable man of God who is right there looking at you and saying to you, King Hezekiah, God sent me. You're getting ready to die. Get your home in order. And there is no chance of recovery. My thought would be, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, Isaiah. Wait a minute. Pray for me. Isaiah, pray for me. Did you notice that he didn't beg Isaiah to pray for him? Why? Because he knew Isaiah was a man of God and he knew what Isaiah said was the truth. And he knew no amount of prayer by the prophet would make a dime's worth of difference. King Hezekiah believed that he was about to die. So what does the Bible say? What, is he, what did he do? What did he do? The Bible said he turned his face toward the wall and he began to what? He began to pray. Everybody look this way. No matter what problem you have in your life, you can take it to Jesus. He went to Jesus. You know, I thought about that. I mean, that's beautiful to me. You know, I thought about it. When I, when I wrote that down, he went to God. He began to pray. He cried out to God. He didn't go to a prophet. He didn't go to some prayer chain. He didn't go to some TV ministry. He immediately went to God and he said, God, I believe what the man of God has said. I'm getting ready to die. I'm getting ready to stand before you. But God, my life is not finished yet. He went to Jesus. Let me ask you something. Are you going to Jesus with your problem? I love, those, I love those friends who disassembled a man's roof in order to take a, a mutual friend who was lame and dropped him down in front of Jesus. I love that. I love the woman who had an issue of blood and had, been, had done, spent all the money that she had, given it to doctors, gone here, gone there, and finally she inched her way through the crowd and touched the hem of Jesus, and immediately she was healed. I love the father who stood at the Mount of Transfiguration and he waited for Jesus to come down. Nine disciples failed. They failed to heal his son. And then all of a sudden Jesus is coming down with Peter, James, and John. And in that moment, that father with his son in his arms went running to Jesus, fell at his feet and said, Jesus, heal my boy, heal my son. Sometimes the only thing you can do with a problem, with a child, with an issue in your life, Whatever it may be is to take it to Jesus and nowhere else. Only Jesus. 
There's no problem, no difficulty, no need that Jesus is not capable of meeting. King Hezekiah went to God, and the Bible said he turned his face toward the wall and he began to weep. He did not want to die. I've been in those hospital rooms when an oncologist walks in with the results and gives the news it's cancer. I remember when my mom had throat cancer and the doctor was looking at my dad and I trying to do it in a way that my mom would not see. When she told my mom, the oncologist said to my mom, you have throat cancer and uh, in that moment, she looked at me when my mom began to weep and she dropped her head. She looked at my dad and I and she said, and it's bad, and it's bad. And she later said, it is a painful, horrible way to die. Had a friend of mine, a farmer, who his son, beautiful, good-looking kid, this man was a millionaire farmer, thousands of acres. Got a call one day, and his son, who had left a, left a friend's house just three or four miles away, was on his way home, veered across the line just for a moment, hit another vehicle head-on, and was in that moment in a tragic accident. And my friend said that he was called and said, you need to get here. Your son, Eric, is, it, this is serious, and you need to come now. And this man, this mountain of a man, he was a good friend of Carlos Gerson's, Emily. This mountain of a man held his son in his arms as his son died. He turned his face toward the wall. He prayed to the only one who could rescue him. He said, God, remember. Boy, isn't that powerful? Don't you love that? He wanted to live. I think we ought to want to live. I was talking to a woman a while back who's had all kinds of tragedy in her life, and the whole conversation was about her wanting to die. My friend, we should want to live regardless of who's going on ahead of us. Because listen to me, if that one who's now in heaven could come back and have five minutes with you, they would trade places with you in a moment. They would say, oh, mom, oh, uh, daughter, oh, son, oh, grandchild, oh, friend, if you could see what I see right now, you'd be walking the streets of this city telling people about Christ. Praise team was leading a song a moment ago, and I wanted to shout, stop, because this is not true. Because too many of us are too silent and have silenced our witness and our testimony and tell nobody about Christ. I remember a friend of mine, well, I think, preacher who went into a hospital room where a man had gotten the bad news and this man was dying. And as a preacher came in and stood by the bedside, this man grabbed his hand and began to say to the pastor, he said, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray that God will heal me. The pastor then looked at the man and said, Why? 
What will you do with your life that you've not already done? Let me tell you, everybody look this way. If you ever get the news that you don't have long to live and you ask God to heal you, the first thing he's going to say is why. I remember when my dad, my dad also had cancer. I go regularly because my ear, nose, and throat doctor checks me for throat cancer. But I remember when my dad had cancer, smoker's cancer, and he was cut from behind the ear all the way down his neck, all the way down to his chest. I remember when my dad got the diagnosis from the cancer, from the ENT, the ear, nose, and throat doctor, that he had cancer, smoker's cancer, and the surgery, the extensive surgery that he would have to have. And I remember my dad and I, we went to Primo's after that, and we were sitting there eating. And I made a comment, a joke, just a simple little funny between my dad and I as somebody walked by. I'll never forget this as long as I live. My dad got a serious look in his face, and he said, Son, he said, I'm changing my life. And I won't be teasing and joking around about people. It was just a simple little funny but in that moment, my dad wanted to live, and he wanted his life to count. Do you? You know, some people say, oh, I just want to die. Let me tell you something. Zero. I've never met anybody that came to the end of their life in that moment that wanted to die. Some people wish their life away, wanting to die, thinking they're the only ones that have gone through tragedy, heartache, thinking they're the only ones that have people in heaven waiting on them, and they just want to die. My friend, you don't want to die, you want to live. You want to live for Christ. You want to serve Him as long as you can. I wrote this down. Some of you have no bargaining chip with the sovereign of the universe. Your life is consumed with yourself. Your gaming, your phone your little games you play, your ailments, your problems, your diagnosis, your narcissistic, self-centered, self-consumed life where you're the victim and everybody else owes you something. And that may be harsh, but it's the truth. Because once you take your last breath, my friend, you are spending eternity somewhere, heaven or hell. And even if it's in heaven, you will long, you may long to be back and to say to the, and let me tell you what the man in hell said. He said, let me go back, God, that I can warn my brothers. God says to Hezekiah, says, put your house in order. I thought, that's a strange thing. What does that even mean? Does that mean make funeral arrangements? Sheila, every once in a while, I guess since I had the stint put in the widow maker, she, she every once in a while, she said, we, we need to get our will together. We need to make a few, pick out our plots and get our funeral arrangements. I look and tell her, say, listen, first of all, I'm counting on the rapture. And the last time I corresponded with the funeral, uh, funeral folks, they don't rent coffins. And you may say, what do you mean by that? Because the Bible says that you and I will one day be called up together. We'll be called up together in heaven. That's the rapture of the church. And I think we're closer than we've ever been before. So I'm not making funeral arrangements. 
Surely my four kids and 16 grandkids got enough sense to put me somewhere, and I've already told them, bury me in the backyard next to my dog that died a few years ago. And whatever you do, I tell them all the time, don't spend money on flowers and don't spend money on a high-priced casket and don't go through that little dog and pony show. Put me in a box and put me in the grave because I'm not going to be there long. But what does that mean? Get your house in order. Put your house in order. Matthew Henry said this. He said, set the heart in order by renewed acts of repentance and faith and a resignation to God. Did you hear that? Matthew Henry commented, a great man of the past said, set the, this means set the heart in order by renewed acts of repentance and faith and a resignation to God with cheerful farewells to this world and welcomes to the, to the next who sets his house in order. He says, make thy will, settle thy estate, put thy affairs, affairs in the best posture you can for those who will be left behind. But I love what he said, set your heart in order by renewed acts of repentance, faith, and a resignation of God. This is a person just resigned to God. This is a person that gets a scare. You ever got a scare? Anybody got a scare? Sometimes you get a health scare, right? And all of a sudden, the news comes back and you realize that, hey, it was just a scare. I'm all right. But usually that is a warning that we need to put our house in order. We need to get some things right. We need to do some things. Sheila and I, even right now, we're trying to do some things to get our house in order. Some of us, we live in such chaos and confusion. House looks like a garbage dump. Cars look like a garbage dump. We have no order, no sense of nothing. We fly by the seat of our britches, and we think we've got eternity. But he tells Hezekiah to get his house in order, a warning. But now let me deviate here and talk uh, again about what I said last week. I don't think God is giving a warning to any one of us. I think God is giving a warning to this nation and this world. Last week I talked to you about what may be happening in our world financially. We talked about a global recession talked about the possibility of a meltdown of the U.S. currency, or all currency, talked about the idea of uh, inflation and a possible crash that many say could be greater than the 1929 crash. Seventy percent of the world's leading economists are saying that we are in store for what they call a global recession, something that's going to happen, and they don't even know what it looks like. Maybe God's warning us just like God was warning Hezekiah. And you may say, well, why would he use money? We talked about that last week. Because Jesus sometimes called the devil mammon. He called him money. In fact, we looked at Luke 4 where Jesus is tempted. You remember in the temptations, Satan says, listen, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. He said, I'll give you all of this. It's mine to give if you'll bow down and you'll worship me. Why? Because we love money. We love materialism. We love stuff. 
Last week, we looked at the state of the world prior to the second coming of Christ. We, we looked at the fact that in Revelation, it talks about a system of commerce by which we're not using the dollar. We don't use this. Hey, the, you remember what I told you? This is fiat. This is not backed by gold and silver, which is China and Russia are stockpiling at a major effort to probably under, undermine this as being the currency of the world which will change the United States very quickly. This is fiat. What does that mean? This is not backed by gold and silver, precious metals. It's backed by the, by the word of our government. But the word of our government, our government is so in debt, trillions of dollars in debt due to COVID. We'll talk about that in a moment. That the reality is that the entire economy of not only this nation, but the world is unstable. And you may say, well, wait a minute. The dollar's strong in Europe. That's fine. The euro is collapsing. The British pound is in trouble. And the strength of the dollar is becoming a detriment to the world and the strength of the dollar is a false reality it's not based on the uh, power of our economy we're living is God warning us giving us notice an eviction notice like a parent who gives a child a warning you know God always does that you know I was sitting with a friend of mine Johnny Gooch in Barnes and Noble and I, and I was trying to talk to him. Him and his wife listened to the message. Last Sunday, he called me. Sheila and I were already in the bed. He called me and he said, Jeff, and, and I, I could tell. He said, my wife and I, Viv, he said, we've listened to this message. And he went on to talk about that message and how it spoke to him. And he's a retired businessman. God always warns people. Just like he did Hezekiah, he can warn a nation. Isaiah not only warned King Hezekiah, Isaiah was warning the entire nation of Israel that if he did not repent and if it did not come to terms with its relationship, covenant relationship with God, then it was in danger of judgment. Sheila said, why is the world in the shape that it's in? Why is this nation in the shape that it's in? Because this has become a dog and pony show. In other words, today we, we look like people that are just moving around the, the lawn chairs, the chairs on the Titanic. We look like people that are singing to a ship that's going down. God always warns, sound of the preacher of righteousness, Noah. I thought about Noah, a 450-foot long box, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall, built in the middle of a desert. I can imagine his three teenage sons day after day after day after day as he, the preacher of righteousness, that's what the Bible called him, was warning the people of what was to come. God always warns. Joseph came out of a prison, shaved and cleaned up real quickly, stood before Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, your dream means this, seven years of plenty and then seven years of unbelievable famine and you better get your house in order. And Pharaoh said, where will I find a man that can do this? And he, Joseph said, you're looking at him. And through Joseph, God not only warned, but God saved Israel and even saved the Egyptians. Mordecai, who went to Esther and said to this slave girl who had become a queen to the Persian Empire and the Persian Emperor, Mordecai said to her, he warned her, he said, listen, God is calling you to stand up 
And who's to say that God has not called you before such a time as this? And Esther, that slave girl who became a queen, went before the king, went before the emperor of the Persian Empire, unbeckoned and pleaded for her people, for the Jewish people. God always warns. Jesus warned the people of his day. You remember what he said? He said, judgment is coming. And he said to the women, he said, you don't want to be pregnant and you don't want to be nursing. The lion of the tribe of Judah warns. I sat Monday. I sat Monday, and I, I may get in trouble for this, but I sat Monday alone in my home. And like Columbo, I just begin to write down. Because let me, let me put it this way. This is a poor illustration. But in the old Star Wars movie, I don't know if it's Obi-Wan, but there comes a moment when the evil entity, the evil empire blows up an entire planet. You remember that with the Death Star? And in that moment when it happens, I, I don't know if it's Obi-Wan, but he all of a sudden gets faint. And he, and he starts to fall back and he begins to fall back and they all turn and look at him and say, what is wrong? And he said, there's been a disturbance in the force. Let me tell you, I am 67 years old and I've been doing ministry for 40 years and I can tell you without any doubt whatsoever, there is something evil and there is something wrong in this world right now that has never been in my entire lifetime. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to frighten you. My God is sovereign. I, I'm not worried. He's in control. Hey, listen, James Dobson said this. They asked James Dobson, Dr. James Dobson, are you afraid that America is about to be judged? Do you know what his answer was? He said, I'm afraid we won't be because judgment is our only hope. So I got to writing down. I, I, I just wrote. I wrote captions. I wrote, first of all, an unpopular president, previous president. He was unpopular. We all know that. He came into office with such statements as draining the swamp, of dealing with Washington elites. He was a businessman. He was not a lawyer. Uh, he was strong-arming foreign threats such as China, North Korea, and Russia. You remember? He was in these altercations with China, North Korea, and Russia. At the same time, the U.S. economy was robust, opening oil pipelines, creating energy independence for this nation, driving the price of gas to $1.50, $1.60 for a gallon. Unemployment was so low that among some ethnicities, African Americans saw the lowest unemployment rate in the history of keeping the records. But we were also a nation that was divided. It seemed like this political figure, and some people say, well, he was immoral. Hey, I grew up with John F. Kennedy sleeping with Marilyn Monroe. I grew up with Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. When did we ever drive the moral and ethical boundaries of our political leaders? Washington is filled with drunks, alcoholics, drug addicts, and people who have, they don't have sense enough to balance a budget. 
But we were politically, socially, racially, we were becoming divided. Somebody were fueling it, creating this division, causing us to become polarized. Because that's what the enemy does. All the way back when he pulled Adam and Eve and he separated them from each other and he ultimately separated them from God. He brings division. He brings confusion. That's what he loves. And it was fueled by the news media, by social media and the censoring so that we were not even able to carry on a conversation. Twitter, Facebook, we're all being run by whoever seemed to have the most power. And let me tell you what, people may not like this, but I gave the same allegiance and support and love and prayer for President Obama, President Bill Clinton, President George W. Bush, and the same for Donald Trump, and the same for Joe Biden. My wife will tell you I pray for President Biden every day. It's not about politics. It's about something more evil, sinister, Then we had COVID. And for many, they were saying this Wuhan lab leak, that something has escaped. But they were censored and driven down. And uh, this was was not man-made. It was something natural that goes from animals to humans. It was the similar to SARS. But for a lot of epidemiologists, immunologists, and scientists, they were saying, no, there's something strange, unfamiliar about this particular virus. It's not like what we've seen before. It looks like it's been genetically altered, man-made, which we've been warning over and over that we were playing God. And America seemed to be hanging in the balance. Though many good things were happening, it was as if somebody was undermining some evil, some presence. And there were false fears. All of a sudden, China had the COVID virus and they gave out this false narrative where they showed people falling out in the roads and the streets and all of a sudden, our Washington and the uh, elites begin to shut down the United States economy. And we were going, Why? People that I trusted, people, medical people that I have great faith in looked at me and said, this is nothing more to you than a virus, a flu-like virus that will last a while and you'll be over it. And I had COVID. I stayed honed up for a while. I got well and I'm back on my feet again. I told you last week that Omicron, by all indications, even among leading epidemiologists, immunologists, and those that are in the medical field have said that Omicron is God's answer to COVID. It has heightened the immune system of the average American, given us a defense that we otherwise would not have. And there was a vaccine. Trillion dollar industry. Pharmaceutical industry that was making mega money patents that were owned by the very people in our government who made up the agencies that were called to protect us they sold us out natural immunity you couldn't bring it up you were censored on Facebook censored on Twitter censored in Instagram in every place you were censored natural immunity doctors people that were qualified were simply saying 
the ability of the human body, if you will not shut us up, the ability of us as a community of people to come back together, our immune systems will figure it out because we are created in the image of a loving Heavenly Father. But my friend, natural immunity, if you brought it up, you were beat down, browbeat. Data was squelched and hidden. And then the vaccine. Social bullying. All of a sudden, anti-vax. If you chose not to take the vaccine, you were seen as some kind of creature from another planet and and, and all of a sudden, we had the woke group, that woke crowd. You know the woke crowd that's come out of this church? They're usually, none of them have children. And most of them are extremely wealthy. And today our economy shipwrecked in much of the world. Feds clamor with the highest and quickest interest rate hikes that we've ever seen. We're in a bear market like none other in history. Russia has a carte blanche into the Ukraine and China sits ready to invade Taiwan, which will be an act of war. And many have said that the only way that this problem will be solved would be a World War III. I talked to you about our currency, the BRICS, Brazil, Russia, China, South Africa, and possibly Saudi Arabia coming together to develop their own, their own currency. Why? In an attempt to undermine ours. Oil prices are out of the roof and Europe cannot even get them. We're in a world that is unstable and more unstable than it's ever been before. And you may say, Brother Jeff, why are you telling us this? Because listen, just like last Sunday, I am warning you. I'm not warning the people that watch. Because most of those people, they watch about two minutes. I'm not talking to the streaming bunch out there or the Facebook bunch or the Twitter bunch or however they get this message. I don't care. I care about the people that I pastor first. That bunch looking in on this service, they average about two minutes. They don't want to hear this. But the reality is, is just like God was warning Hezekiah, God's warning you and I. God's warning this nation. God's warning this world. We're living in a day where the world is fast coming under one centralized government, and that centralized government will be controlled by one entity, one individual. The Bible makes that clear. The Bible makes it clear that one day this, this right here won't mean nothing. It's devaluing every day. The Bible says it won't mean anything. Digital currency, Bitcoin, and all of these that are increasing in value. Digital currency is the quickest way for governments to control where you spend your money, how you spend your money, and if you spend your money at all. You couldn't, hey, you couldn't convince me. I could sit here and give you point after point of apocalyptic, of end-time prophecy, of end-time biblical Daniel, Revelation, 
Matthew 24. I could give it to you over and over again and literally show you that we are closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ than we've ever been before. And if you're here today or you're watching and you do not know today if you're a Christian or not, you're not saved and you're not certain, then you don't need to go this, leave this building. A moment ago, I got a text. Had a man in another church. He said, do you have time? Do you have time to counsel with a, with a family member? I said, yes, I do. This man came to my home. We sat down. I got a text a little while ago. said, guess who just got saved today? And I'm going to tell you, some of you sitting here, you're going to go home, you've got family that are lost, you've got neighbors that are lost, you're in a school of lost boys and girls, young people, teenagers. Some of you are in universities where there's a lot of lost people in those. And you have every opportunity to walk out of this building and to share your faith and share your testimony. And if you believe that He comes in an hour that you think not, if He's getting ready to come in your lifetime, it might be good for you and I to be busy sharing Him with others. Why? Because one day on the other side, I'll meet the guy that I counseled with, talk to him about Christ, I'll one day meet him in heaven. He cried a lot. He was repentant. Not much tears anymore in churches. God's warning us. God's telling you and I get our house in order. That's not meant to scare you. Financially, Paying off debt. Financially, keeping cash on hand. Financially, figuring out what things we would need to buy in order to ensure if something were to happen that we at least have enough adequate supplies to take care of us over the initial shock. Brother Jeff, are you saying it'll happen? I don't know. But my Lord told me this, Jeff, be shrewd as a serpent. And that means you be just as smart and calculating as your enemy, Satan. Because I have the mind of Christ. Let's stand with heads bowed and with eyes closed, nobody looking around. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you today, and Lord, I have preached and, and done my best. If I've offended anybody, I'm sorry. This is not a political message. This is just simply to say there is an evil that is moving across this land and around this world that should wake up every believer, every man or woman of God to the times that we're living in and how critical it is that we walk with you. Pray, dear Lord, right now, there's a man or a woman, boy or girl, who looks at their life and they realize that They've never given their life to Christ. They've never been saved. They've not done what this man has done today, this morning in another church, as he gave his life to Christ, a grown man, married with family, settled his salvation. I knew he was going to do that because he sat in my home and wept as I talked to him about Christ. Lord, I pray that if there's a man or woman, boy or girl, teenager, young person, child, who's never given their life to you, I pray today that they would be saved.
they would repent of their sin and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me, I confess my sin and ask you to come in and forgive me and live in my heart, be the Lord of my life. Boy, that is painful when he is the Lord, the master calling the shots. Pray, dear Lord, for those that know they're out of fellowship. They're not walking with Christ like they need to. They've gotten caught up in the world. They're quiet little areas of disobedience, of sin. They're battling with the enemy right now in some area. This is a time that we have to put our homes and our life and our mind and our heart in order. Lord, there's some in this room and some that will listen. They have long since given up sharing their faith. They don't tell anybody anymore. And that pretty well says to a lost world in danger of the judgment of God, that pretty well says to a world, you don't really believe this, do you? So Lord, I pray, dear Lord, today that you'd speak to our hearts and may we take this warning and use it. May we realize that the title of this series, Turbulence, that may be just like a pilot warning the passengers and the crew, there's turbulence ahead. These are uncertain times. You can't, go with, you can't go through them without Jesus Christ and an intimate fellowship with Him. So Lord, wrap your arms around us. It's not surprising, Dallas Jenkins, with series like The Chosen that seems to have kind of called over a billion people into watching. There's so many things that are happening around the world that are indicative of Christ telling this lost world, I love you. Churches can't do business as usual. If we do, people will die and go to hell. May we never forget that. As I heard the woman say, who survived the Titanic, this elderly woman said, I cannot go to a ball game. No ball game. Not baseball, not football, not any ball game. Because when the crowd joins together in a certain sound and I hear it, I go into a deep depression because it's the same sound I heard when hundreds of men, women, boys, and girls were dying at the scene of the Titanic. May you grip our hearts. May you remind us of what really matters. And may nothing stop us from taking this message and sharing it with a lost world. And Lord, there is an evil. But Lord, we thank you that you are the lion of the tribe of Judah and that you are far able and powerful and omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. You are able. He may go about like a roaring lion, but he's on the chain of God. Lord, we love you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come. May never be a moment like this moment.